The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Welcome to another edition of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you are here to join us on this Saturday. And, you know, one of the things that we always get emails about, probably a couple of times a month, when is Dr. Peter Coogan coming back online? When is Dr. Coogan going to be back on your show? When can Dr. Coogan come on and tell us what he's doing next? Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Dr. Peter Coogan, the doctor of all things pop culture and awesome, and also the director of the Institute for Comic Studies. Dr. Coogan's on our show. Peter, welcome. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? Good, good, good. Now, there's a couple of really, you know, we often bring you on because we are talking about upcoming comic book conventions, and really we are still in the middle of Comic-Con uh, season. And there are a couple of uh, conventions that are coming up that I want to talk about because you've got some interesting uh, programming panels set up. The first is uh, Project Comic-Con 2, which is coming up next weekend. That's uh, uh, September 18th and 19th at the Maryland Heights Center in Maryland Heights, Missouri. Which uh, that's is part a local, of St. Louis. Yeah, that's a local yeah. con, right? Or, right. Um, so how is that How is that different than, say, the New York Comic Con, which is coming up in October, um, and, well, and how you program for that? Yeah, sure. The, the main difference is obviously the size. Um, mm-hmm. The Project Comic Con is a little show. It's, it's put on by, uh, you know, a local shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just, it started out kind of as a dealer's room, and it's grown, and, 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 you know, they're seeking programming. So right. they're having the kind of normal program. You know, they've got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of interesting guests and, you know, uh, uh, publishers will be there and, you know, it's kind of normal regional con. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're making that kind of effort. Um, right. You know, one of their guests, for instance, Howie Chaikin, Gail Simone will be there, you know, oh, very cool. So it's, it's getting good coverage for a local con, but, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to do with the Institute for Comic Studies and is to get academic programming at comic book conventions mm-hmm. because we want to bring scholars and professionals together, build bridges between the industry and the academy, do the work of public intellectuals, which is to to bring some of the more scholarly, critical, academic, theoretical, historical you know, that right. sort of work to the public to mm-hmm. say that there's there's another kind of conversation that we can have. It's not just promotion. It's not just nostalgia. It's not just kind of celebrity worship, but um, that there's the analysis and so forth. And and Project Comic-Con, I have to say, they are awesome. They have been fantastic to work with. They really want to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a really good reputation in town. Um, you know, and so we put together... A small, I'm working with a graduate student from, uh, uh, St. Louis University, um, David Olson, and we put together a small, um, session of panels, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I sent out a note to uh, academics in the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a nice little, you know, it's one day of programming, one day of paneling, one day of panels. But uh, it's a nice little thing. And we got uh, some popular stuff and some more esoteric stuff and some uh, focus panels with uh, with professionals. So, you know, in regards to an academic panel, I mean, uh, that this is now, obviously, you're in St. Louis and you are at a you teach at a university that has a, an emphasis or at least has an area that studies pop culture or it has pop culture studies in the area. So it's got to be fairly easy to draw people in from an area like St. Louis to fill up a panel like this. Yeah, well, actually, St. Louis has – the funny thing about St. Louis is it's really got a – it's really kind of comics town, but it doesn't really? know that it is. Yeah, yeah because well, we've got like uh, uh, Matt Kind. Mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, and other creators, other local creators. Uh, mm-hmm. Joshua Dystart and uh, um, people like that, but there isn't much of a kind of community here. I mean, they kind of all know each other. Right on the scholarly side, there are, you know, there are people teaching comics in all kinds of classes, but uh, they didn't think of themselves as comic scholars. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's lots of people. Evidently, the, at the St. Louis University Women's Studies, they all teach uh, um, uh, Allison Bechdel's Fun Home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they don't think of themselves as comic scholars, just right. like the way somebody in an English department might teach a movie, but they don't think of themselves as a film scholar, right? Right. And so, um, it, it what I, I did an event called Slack Off, St. Louis Area Comics Friendly Faculty, mm-hmm. Slack Off, mm-hmm. last year. And, and what I did was I just started with people that I knew, and then it turned out there were some more, and we get, we had, we had a nice event, we gathered people together, but, uh, yeah, so there there is the possibility of getting those people, but I think the same thing is going to be true, you know, in any town that has more than one university. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's going to be people again, they may not think of themselves as comic scholars. So if somebody was going to do this, they'd have to really kind of get the word out, uh, you know, start with who they knew, who's interested right. in comics, right? Put up notices at comic book stores because mm-hmm. If somebody's interested in comics, there's a chance they'll come to the comic book store. Right. And through that, you can, you can actually start to develop a comic studies community. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing is it's easy to put on events. You so, know, um, I mean, is it really? I mean, you, you're saying it is really easy because I was going to ask, you know, Planet Comic Con is in Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City actually has a fairly surprisingly, I'm always surprised at the number of crea- creators that I see that say, oh, yeah, I'm, I live in Kansas City or the surrounding area. Planet Comic Con is a, is a pretty good uh, two day uh, event. Would it be easy for them to just set up an academic panel? I mean, yeah. what if somebody wants to set up an academic panel? Should they call the, uh, the Institute for Comic Studies and, and yes. uh, just say, Peter, and- help us out? Yeah, and and I can make it happen. Our motto is "Ask not what uh, you can do for X, ask what X can do for you." <laughs> uh, that's why there's been a, a, a it's called a, a, a mini conference at DragonCon the past couple of years. Uh, oh, okay. Professor Matt Brown, he was a graduate student at the time mm-hmm. at the uh, University of San Diego, and he wanted to start with something with DragonCon, and he couldn't, uh, you know, he just couldn't get a response from him. He couldn't get connected to the right person, and and I called up. I said hi. This is Dr. Peter Guggen, director of the Institute for Comic Studies. And they, it connected. I got a hold of the right person. They listened to me. And all I did was I said, well, here, you'll be working with Matt Brown. And he had a conference. Wow. With Project Comic-Con, I emailed, uh, you know, the, the organizers. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, sounds great. And, of course, I put out a call. And, I, I you know, I, I knew people. and, and uh, But, uh, for example, they're having Howie Chaikin come. Right. And Howie Chaikin 
you know, wrote to them and said, I want to come to the com- oh, cool. to the com- to the Comic Con. Right. And he said he'd be willing to do an academic panel. So we're doing a focus panel. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Boney, who's at the uh, University of Central Missouri, mm-hmm. he's going to do, you know, 75 minute uh, panel with focus on how he chicken, talk about his career, but it's, it's different from what you'd have if it were just Chaikin talking about himself or if it were, um, a journalist or publisher, you know, another, another professional because Alex, you know, he did his dissertation on, on superheroes and on connection between superheroes and modernism. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he's a scholar. He's going to come at Chaikin's career from a completely different perspective than you would see elsewhere. Very cool. But any, you know, anybody could do that. Um, you know, if you, if somebody in Kansas City wanted to have, uh, academic panels at, uh, Planet Comic Con, I, I would, I actually would recommend contacting me because I've been doing this for 20 years. Right. And it, it can help to have a little institutional weight mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. That, that's the problem. That's what Matt found, Matt Brown found with Dragon Con, that it just, for some reason, uh, and I don't know what it is, um, uh, the cons, I, I think there's a kind of institution to institution comfort, comfortness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyway, they're, they're, I think they're more likely to respond also because I have been doing conferences for 20 years. Right. I think, and look, you know, they can Google me and then they can trust that it'll happen in the way that, you know, in a, in a way that they would want it to happen. Right. I, I right. that may be it. It may just be, so it's not some random person. Sure. But somebody who's got a proven track record. That may be all it is. But yeah, if somebody wants to do a regional con, um, that's one of my goals is to get these started. And I really just want to help other people do what they right. want to do. So, but you're not attending every single con that the, uh, that Ix sets up, are you? Did you no, go to con- no. Dragon Con? And I didn't, I, I have never been to Dragon Con. And we've had, uh, you know, th- we've had the conference there for, I think, three years. Um, mm-hmm. I have never been to WonderCon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Comics Arts Conference, which is not an Institute for Comic Studies production, I always have to say that. <laughs> it's a separate uh, thing. Right. Um, uh, we've had it there for, I think, four years, and mm-hmm. uh, I've never gone. And I'm hoping to go to New York Comic Con, where we have the Comic Studies Conference, but right. my, uh, my funding is, isn't, hasn't been, uh, uh, completely worked out yet. Okay. I have a, there's somebody paying for my flight. Sure. Hope. You know, they, they, they said they would, but we haven't, you know, I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten the plane ticket yet. So, right. But you, you guys know, have just, I'll, the organization has also just recently, um, uh, been renewed for its, um, um, 501c3. Yeah. The 501c3 too, right? Yeah. So the Institute for Comic Studies is now an official federal nonprofit organization, which, Excellent. um, means that we can apply for grants. It means that people can donate. Uh, one of my plans is to have people donate their collection, you mm-hmm. know, for tax write-off, mm-hmm. and then we may sell some of it, we may keep some of it as, as a, in a library, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but they get a tax write-off, and then we can, um, uh, we may we may donate some of those collections, some of the collections to uh, to university libraries, right? You know, get it preserved, those sorts of things. Um, and of course, so you know, yeah, that's. The- when the new iPad comes out, people who want to get right. rid of their old iPads can send them to you for also a tax write-off, correct? That's actually true. Um, if somebody actually, I need a Windows laptop. 
<laughs> and so if somebody has a Windows laptop that's not too old, yeah. uh, I would uh, I would love to, and wants a tax write-off for it, I would love to have a Windows laptop. Yeah. Okay. So when do you, when you such as this um, uh, Project Comic-Con that's coming up next weekend, when you set up an academic panel like this, and when people go to the show, are yeah. do you find that a lot of people are still surprised that there's an academic side to comics and pop culture? Absolutely. It's uh, many times people have, you know, they'll come in because there'll be some interesting topic, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sequential art and storytelling. Right. Oh, what's that? Well, you know, we have uh, Daniel Yesbeck of St. Louis Community College. He's going to talk about sequential art and storytelling, right? Christy Boney's at uh, University of Central Missouri mm-hmm. is going to talk about, you know, how uh, history is represented, uh, you know, the Holocaust. How mm. comics represent the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody will come into that and then they'll find out, wait, you have a, you teach classes in comics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, you, you, you have a PhD in superheroes? <laughs> huh. And, and, and they'll find out that it exists. And then, uh, we get, um, you know, we get an amazing, uh, continuity of, of, uh, there are people I see year after year coming right. to the conferences. I'll recognize them. Right. Um, so yeah, that happens. It actually happens. Do you know the, the comic strip, uh, PhD comics? Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, they, he went, the author went to it, uh, the, uh, San Diego Comic Con last year. Mm-hmm. And this year during the Comic Con, he drew last year's strip. So I'm actually in project, I'm actually in PhD comics. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and then the funny thing, you know, so, so he was surprised to see that it existed and he's an academic. You know, he's an academic of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is then he had me, he had the, the me that was in it holding up, uh, t-shirts, you know, hawking t-shirts. <laughs> and he drew this Kirby scholar yeah. going, it's scholar in time, which was the, the, it was the, 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 the t-shirt that we had that year. Right. And, and then people started to write me to get an it's scholar in time t-shirt. And I was like, well, ours is different from that. And, and so he actually right, right, then right. drew it. He took the picture and drew it. And so we're going to be offering those t-shirts as soon as I get them up on, uh, cafe press or whatever. Oh, that'll be awesome. Um, but it's really cool. It's a guy in, you know, robes and going, yeah, it's yeah. scholar in time. And it's, uh, uh, um, I will wear that. Uh, I will wear that to my, uh, to my dean and chair meetings at, at my exactly. university just exactly. to see what kind of reaction I get. Well, you know, we've talked before on this show about how, influential comic books are into other television shows and and into movies and vice versa we were just talking before the show about dashiell hammett and yojimbo and and fistful of dollars and all of that stuff red harvest yeah red harvest um once again at the 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 um project comic-con um you're doing heroes ain't superheroes which you've done before and you've talked about before where you're going to look at the show nbc's uh, heroes and talk about that in relation to comic books what was the reception the last time you gave that presentation? Uh, it was pretty good. I gave it at the uh, University of Oregon, mm-hmm. and I decided to give it again at Project Comic-Con because I wanted to hit a different audience. You know, right. The University of Oregon was an academic event at a university, mm-hmm. and so that's one thing. And here, um, you know, we're going to be at a, a comic book convention, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it at directed to just regular readers and regular people. Um and I, I think it's people are surprised because mm-hmm. they they think Heroes is a superhero show, right? And to be honest, it took me uh, three years to figure it out. 
And I only figured it out because in my uh, teaching, I teach a class on superheroes. And this is where, this is the importance of teaching your subject if you're, if you're in a field. Mm-hmm. I we were talking about origins and I started talking about the differences between superhero origins and what happens on the show heroes. Right. And then it clicked for me and I figured it out and I, I, I worked that out about why heroes was not a superhero show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been asked, um, Peter Sanderson asked me when heroes came out the first year, he said, is it superhero show? And I said, I'm not sure. I, I think it could be. I don't think right. it exactly is right now, but I don't mm-hmm. know why. And I couldn't figure it out. And then I, I did that. I figured out that it's actually, uh, it fits into the homo superior, right. um, storyline, that genre. And it doesn't actually, that the dynamics, what the characters do isn't superhero stuff. And the, the best example I can give of that is Claire lets, um, Doyle, the puppeteer guy go mm-hmm. because she has a, a connection with him because they're right. both uh, empowered people. They're both uh, mutants, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. They're both homo superior. Mm-hmm. And Batman is never going to go to the Riddler. <laughs> you know, we're both freaks. You can go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> he's never going to go to the Joker. You know, we both, we, we have that connection. We have that deep connection because of how society treats us. And so you can just go murder people. Yeah. <laughs> because when, when Doyle leaves, he gives her a look like, He's not done. Yeah, he's not. He's not change. cured. Yeah, you know, and she lets him go anyway. And you just, you would never see Superman doesn't let Kryptonians. You know, he doesn't let the Phantom Zone people mm-hmm. just run out. Yeah, yeah, because they're Kryptonians, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what's happening on that show. And that's why it's well, different. It, but it, it will be interesting then to see what kind of reaction you get the difference between an academic conference and a comic book conference, because the times that on the show, when we have talked about X-Men and superhero and, um, and uh, heroes is the same, same thing. People just jump all over our case with this. So hopefully you're not getting, uh, somebody throwing, uh, issues of nineties comics at you as a show of protest whenever you're up there giving your lecture. And, and that's where I, the sort of value of academic, investigation comes because mm-hmm. you know i can link it to theories of genre mm-hmm. right and 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 the background and so forth so that 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 and that's true of any uh topic that's investigated sort of scholarly and academically is you build on theory mm-hmm. and so it's not just building on your impression of it, but it's building on the scholarly work of other people mm-hmm. and people who have been thinking about topics. And, and it may not be, they're not thinking about comics and superheroes. They may be thinking about movies and musicals and Westerns. And, right. but e- e- there is a, there is a, it's a, called a discourse community. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people, community who talk about something, discourse, right? Right. But uh, that they think about it in a systematic way. That, uh, and I think that's what the academic and scholarly attention to comics can bring. Mm -hmm. It can bring all that history. And it's not just the study of comics because, of course, you're applying theories, um, and looking at parallels in other fields, other types of literature, other types of texts and everything. And and I was going to bring that up because, uh, obviously you can you can go down the line of literature and you've got a rich history of 
of theory and research about literature all over time, all the way probably mm-hmm. since, you know, Aristotle preaching on the on the steps. Um, right. Are there other, I mean, if someone is, again, going into studying academically comics, is that a, that's a relatively narrow field of study? So are a lot of the theories that are coming out about comic books and, and comic studies, are they relatively new ideas or are they, again, are they just building on things that people have said before, but they're adapting them to, to this area of study. Yeah, well, what's happening with that? And it's funny because I'm teaching a graduate course at Washington University in St. Louis mm-hmm. uh, in the spring about comics. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just had to figure out, I, I just had to write up a description of it for the curriculum committee. Right. And one of the reasons that it's, and I had to justify it as a graduate course. And so one of the things that I put down was that comic studies is a place to see a new field, a new topic mm-hmm. and a new theory emerging. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in most interdisciplinary fields, uh, women's studies, you know, American studies, popular culture, ethnic studies, uh, place studies, uh, rural studies, you know, whatever, um, masculinity studies, all these things. Right. W- what happens is typically they, they start with a theory that exists in whatever the home department is mm-hmm. and they start to apply it to a new topic. Mm. But then over time, uh, so, you know, with, like, with women's studies, you might sort of start with Marxism, you know, mm-hmm. looking at power relationships, how, uh, culture is constructed, something like that from an economic base, but then switch it over to gender and swap right. the terms out. You know? Okay. Uh, that could happen. Um, so with comic studies, that's sort of what's happened is that people come from different disciplines. You know, mm-hmm. disciplines are ways of looking at reality. Right. And they're ways of constructing knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of comic studies has come out of English departments, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're textual studies. So you have close reading and you have uh, uh, those sort of theories. But, you know, uh, um, a friend of mine from the uh, School of the Arts in Chicago, Stanford Carpenter, is an anthropologist. So he brings anthropology and ethnography to comics. Oh, well, okay. Um, you know, that happened with, uh, Janice Radway wrote a book called Reading the Romance, where she did an ethnography of, of, uh, of romance readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Putz applied that to comics readers, right? Mm. So that's, that's normal, is that there's a borrowing, you borrow theory and apply it to a new topic. But, right. what's been happening recently, and this is one of the things that I'm going to get into at the, in my graduate course next year, is there's been the emergence of comics theory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously McLeod and Eisner, right. but they aren't academics, but there's been the development of academic theory. Uh, Neil Cohn uh, is an example. He's a linguist, um, but he's doing visual linguistics, mm. you know, and, and uh, he's doing scans of people's brains while they read comics to find out what happens to their oh, brains. Cool. So um, what's happening right now is there's an emergence of, of sequential art theory. Right. And it's just beginning, you know. Most work that's done in comic studies is rooted in another discipline because there are no comic studies departments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it has how to do be you, another how, how do you take, I mean, this seems kind of like, I don't know, McLeod is not an academic, yet his theories are really sound. 
How do you take his work and turn it into something that could be accepted as, as an academic work and academic theory? Is it just you sitting down and kind of almost reinterpreting his work and then taking credit for it academically? Or, I mean, some well, of our listeners might, might be yeah, confused in some I of mean, that area. You know, McLeod's theory is, is sound, and I haven't, you know, I haven't done the sort of work that I would need to do to say what I'm about to say, but I'll, I'll say it okay. <laughs> as it were, okay. is that there, there has been a lot of criticism from the academic side about McLeod's work because there's, you know, his theory of closure, mm-hmm. um, his, his theory of art, you right. know, he just comes in and, oh, there's art is whatever doesn't, uh, you know, lead to reproduction or to, uh, or to a uh, survival. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. But what about, past 2000 years of the theory of art right right mm-hmm. and and so primarily what has to be done uh like with mcleod's work is it has to be fit into the history of um what he's talking about uh, okay. you know so he's talking about the way the brain works with mm-hmm. closure mm-hmm. okay well what do cognitive psychologists say you know Mm-hmm. And I don't know what cognitive psychologists say because I'm a genre theorist. You know? Sure. But, um, you know, color, his whole section on color. Okay. What do color theorists say? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the work that he didn't do because he's a cartoonist. He's not an academic. Right. And so his work is valuable, undoubtedly. And it's a great place to start. But as Scott McCloud himself said, this isn't the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what has, it's not that you reconceptualize and take credit for it. It's that you examine his work and critique it from within the body of literature. You point out what's, you always look for the gaps. That's what right. you do as an academic. You look for gaps in literature. You look to see, you know, what does, what does the theory, the peer reviewed theory say? Mm-hmm. You know, about what do the cognitive psychologists say who've done the right. brain study? And, and right. in fact, and a great example of this is Neil Cohn. Um, he's at, uh, emackie.net. He argues with McLeod. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing is though, Neil is a linguist. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. he's doing hardcore, you know, he presents at the big linguist conferences and he's doing hardcore, um, Studies of visual and verbal, I mean, you know, visual linguistics. Um, and he had some real differences with Scott and Scott and Neil know each other and they, you know, they right, get on. Right. And there's no, it's not a personal thing or anything, but he has radical, you know, he has, he has disagreements with, with McLeod. Sure. And, and so the thing is that, that the nature of sort of academic discourse is that you have to have standing to really, um, to talk. You know, right. which means you have to demonstrate that you have an understanding of what's been done before. Mm-hmm. And understanding comics do- isn't placed within that. It gets used a lot because it's in comics form. Right. It's one of, it's accessible. Right. It's available. Mm-hmm. You know, but now there is starting to be some academic criticism and development of theory. And so, McLeod's always going to play a part in that because of, um, again, he's actually working in comics. And that's probably not, unfortunately, comics theory probably isn't going to be written in comics. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem. I think there's ways to do it. But, you know, most of the people doing the theory can't draw. (laughs) So so that's kind of a problem. Uh, 
we've kind of taken this uh, tangent uh, talking about literature and, and other um, and other areas, but you know, it kind of does tie back in. This conversation does tie back into another panel that you have called Comics and Literature, where you're talking yeah. about super superheroes in poetry, and we're not talking about making some dirty limerick about Batman. Uh, are we talking about here like Beowulf as a superhero in poetry, or are we? Uh, uh, no, uh, Pam uh, Garvey of St. Louis Community College, Merrimack, is uh, you know going to be talking about. Um, there's been a lot of poetry actually about superheroes. Uh, there's a book called Krypton Knights. Um, hmm. there, there's a lot of contemporary poetry that deals that touches on superheroes, and mm-hmm. so that's what she's going to be dealing with. She's going to be dealing with serious poets um, taking this topic and and advancing. And it, there's a parallel with. You see, you feel like Jonathan Lethem, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, Cavalier and Clay. Right. Uh, there have been, you know, uh, Fortress of Solitude, um, the, uh, Ice Storm, right? Mm-hmm. There have been these serious works of literature or fiction that have dealt with superheroes and comics and so forth. And so it's not really surprising that you're also seeing it come up in poets, poetry. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a, and I could look up the name, but we had a poet uh, come and talk about um, it more from the academic side rather than the creative side. Talk about comics and poetry, superheroes and poetry. So it, it, right. it at the Comics Arts Conference. So it, it happens a lot, actually. And then uh, Anita Hagerman is talking about Shakespeare and comics and how um, how uh, she says the the. The presence of the bard both interrogates and reinforces the idea of literary canon. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the way Shakespeare had been portrayed in comics, we had that at the uh, Comic Studies Conference in Chicago last year at C2E2, where somebody looked at all the adaptations of Shakespeare and actually came away with an evaluative, which oftentimes that's not done in academic work. But he said that the best Shakespeare comics is called uh, Stick Figure Hamlet. Hmm. I don't yeah, think I am. Because it doesn't get tied up in the sort of costuming and sets and so forth. Right, right. But it directly uh, uh, translates Shakespeare into the medium of comics. Uh-huh. It's like the difference between, you know, old silent movies used to sort of use the conventions of stage sure. for movies, and right. it didn't quite work. Mm-hmm. That's typically what happens with Shakespeare and comics, is that they, they retain the conventions of the stage and the comics, and it doesn't work all that well, but but uh, Stick Figure Hamlet, which is available online, just Google yeah, Stick, stick fig- Figure yeah, Hamlet. Yeah, stickfigurehamlet.com is the is the website. Yeah, it uh, it actually translates Shakespeare into comics in a way that works. So, um, yeah, and it's not a, it's these, a modern it's a modern Shakespeare. It doesn't look to be yeah. the uh, you know the old oldie timey English. Yeah, but getting at, uh, at, you know, this panel comics and literature, it's that idea about what's the, you know, when you say in both, for both of these, both poetry and the sort of Shakespeare and the canon, mm-hmm. both of these topics take, um, what's regarded as high art and serious art mm-hmm. and look at the way that has been translated into more, uh, or, or the popular figures, popular tropes and translated into popular, more popular or more accessible, supposed to be more accessible, uh, medium. Um, and, and what is the inner, what is the interaction there between what's viewed as high and low? And that goes back to, you know, there was that a couple of years ago, there was that high and low show 
Uh, mm-hmm. that dealt, I think, you know, it was a gallery show in, in the nineties, um, that dealt with comics. And so that, that's always been an issue related to comics, whether you go back to, you know, Crazy Cat or, yeah. or, uh, Little Nemo and Slumberland. Those right. were both, those both had kind of high art pretensions to them or, right. or uh, conversations about that. And yet, you know, where they are as comics was mm-hmm. an issue. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the show this upcoming weekend, Project Comic Con, uh, you can find more information about it at the ProjectComicCon.com website. There are not a lot of panels. We've pretty much covered all the panels. There's a sequential art and storytelling focus on Howard Chaykin, as, as Peter mentioned, comics and literature, and then uh, Heroes Ain't Superheroes, and the focus on Fred Van Linty and Joshua Dysart uh, is there as well. Academically, I mean, it sounds it sounds fascinating, but also just from people that are participating, if they, you know, sometimes these small shows, I know Planet Comic Con sometimes falls into this where, you can go and you can enjoy and you can spend really about a half of a day traveling this small show floor. I mean, it's relatively speaking, small show floor. So if you're looking to really get a big, uh, big extra bang for your buck yes. for going to some of these smaller shows, if you've got a panels sessions that you can go to an academic panel sessions, that sounds like a way to spend the afternoon. And, and that's what the organizers wanted. You know, they wanted to build value and, um, to just sort of, as a segue, lead on to the uh, New York Comic Con and the mm-hmm. Comic Studies Conference that's there, uh, Reed, which produces New York Comic Con and C2E2, and they also produce the Singapore Toys, Comics, and Games Convention. Right. Um, they That's what they want to do. They want to build value. And so we have, we are running conferences at all those events, including the one in Singapore. Wow. And so coming up in uh, October um, 8th and 9th, and tenth mm-hmm. is the uh, is New York Comic Con and the Comic Studies Conference there, and it's that the first, same idea. The first time of, you've got it, yeah. It's this a, is our yeah. first year. Um, we did C two E two this year, twenty ten, mm-hmm. and now New York Comic Con. It's at both events. It's called the Comic Studies Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that Comics Arts Conference is both at Comic Con and at uh, WonderCon. It's a kind mm-hmm. of similar model, uh, and in fact, that's why Reed. That's what Reed wanted to do. They're trying to, they're trying to model themselves after um, the larger cons and kind sure. of, uh, you know, they're trying to picture themselves, put themselves forward as a kind of national con. And I guess to be a national con, you have to have academics, right? Oh, okay, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. uh, but okay. So let's talk academics because there's one panel on here that uh, instantly jumps out to me. It's uh, the Comic Studies Conference, uh, session number three, Gotham City, 14 Miles, Why Batman 66 Matters. And on it, you have uh, author Jim Beard, but you also have uh, Mark Wade and Jennifer Stuller from Ink Stained Amazons on right. there as well. How does that yeah, and work? That's a, yeah, sure. That's a panel that's more pro. And, and mm-hmm. what it is is that's a, that's a book, Gotham City, 14 Miles. Um, uh, I think it's by i think it's like by ben bella it's you know pop matters um mm-hmm. you know that's a more pro panel but um you know the thing is it is a mixture i mean peter sanderson has moved into uh academia mm-hmm. you know he teaches and uh uh and you know he's doing those histories he's kind of more of a he's like an independent scholar as mm-hmm. kind of like a non-academic scholar jennifer stuller also independent scholar um you know, and, and, and actually, I, uh, I would have sat on that panel, but it's too full. You know, because yeah, I love like the one, two, three, TV four, show. five, six, seven. There's like eight, yeah. nine people on this panel. Right. Nine people on that panel. And so, you know, they didn't need me. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that's one of those instances where, you know, it's a little more on the professional side, but it does have some scholarly representation there. And we really mm-hmm. like to, to mix it up, but that's going to be a great panel. You're going to, anybody who's going to New York Comic Con, that, if you like Batman, that's really one to hit because mm-hmm. what most people don't understand about the Batman TV show is that it was innovative. Right. And, and important for the history of television. Right. And production values were high. And mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of commitment there and, and it presaged a lot of what we think of as coming out of the quality TV revolution from, uh, you know, sort of the eighties. It, right. it actually presaged a lot of that and people don't. And it was also an, a faithful and accurate adaptation. So, you know, I have found in my own teaching, because I've taught the Batman TV show as part of my comics class, because it's it's kind of a big, big central thing in the terms of the oh, way sure. that we think about comics. Uh, right, right. You know, the Batman TV show is, is important in terms of comics and important in terms of television. And it's not this, this joke. And the thing that people don't understand as well is that Adam West is a great actor mm-hmm. for what he did. He may, right. you know, he may be a limited actor, but mm-hmm. he's not a bad actor. You know, now he sat. And this, Adam West has sat on on one of these panels before. Maybe not the one titled "Gotham City: 14 Miles," but he sat on a panel that you guys have put on, right? About about yeah, the Batman TV yeah. series. About actually okay. about the Joker. Oh, sat okay, on that's Joker right. That's right. At the Comic Arts Conference in San Diego. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and 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 so. That's one of those things where, you know, I was happy to run this as a, uh, you know, it's a book. It's a sort of pop, pop scholar book as opposed to an mm-hmm. academic scholar book. But it, it does kind of raise the discussion in a way and it gets people thinking about issues and puts the show into a context and so forth. And so mm-hmm. while it's not a straight academic scholarship, it is scholarship. Right. The uh, on the on the kind of following that up, we mentioned the um, I think it was San Diego. You did the the psychi- uh, psychology or the is the Joker crazy panel. Right. You've right. got another panel very similar to that uh, at coming up the New York Comic Con psychiatry and the superhero, where you're going to be talking about heroes becoming balanced and unbalanced, and Sharon Packer talking about uh, Spider Man and his black uh, symbiote costume. Right. Exactly. And. Uh, we, we also have the, the Joker panel, uh, was organized by Robin Rosenberg, who's doing a, a Iron Man panel. But mm, yeah, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's great is Daniel DeBowie, who's both a PhD and an MD, mm-hmm. uh, and Sharon Packer's an MD. They're both psychiatrists. Mm. And so they're looking really at the ways using, you know, coming at it as practicing medical psychiatrists right. are going to, you know, analyze Batman and, you know, pull out what it is that, uh, that Batman shows or Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he says that Batman is, is an inherently anti-psychiatry narrative because, um, the, the, the psychiatrists are almost always naive, antagonistic, you know, antagonists, and they, they're against the sort of citizens of Krypton because, if, or, uh, Gotham, because if you look at how everybody gets out of Arkham Asylum and how Arkham himself is crazy and how, you know, so 
what does that say about the image of psychiatry and mental health? Right. And, and mm-hmm. you know, Spider-Man, you know, she's talking about the way the black costume is emblematic of concepts from psychiatry, neurology, and sort of folk psychiatry. And so what, what's really interesting there and what Robin Rosenberg is going to do in the um, Forging Iron Man talk is she's going to show and Sharon Packer is going to show how the writers – and creators of these comics and superhero stories get at deeper truths. And mm-hmm. that even though they don't know the theory, it, it turns out the Joker is a, is psychotic yeah, because he fits yeah, all is. the characteristics. Tony Stark, uh, um, I've, I've seen Robin's work on this, mm-hmm. and uh, it's amazing because the Stan Lee got it. He right. got the kind of narcissism of Tony Stark Mm-hmm. In a way that, you know, he didn't go out and read the literature, but it meant that he was aware. This actually made me, um, you know, understand Stan Lee in a different way as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, because he actually has, his sort of intuitive understanding of a lot of concepts of psychology. Right. Because of his understanding of human nature. Mm-hmm. I was really, I was really amazed at, uh, at the way, um, the, the psychiatry and psychology analysis of these characters helps me to understand both the characters, but also actually the artistry of the writers. Mm. In addition, you know, kind of comics kind of got their start in New York for a variety of reasons. That's where publishing yeah. was headquartered at and everything. And uh, you've got this other interesting panel that's talking about New York. And uh, Brad, I, I don't want to mispronounce his name, Rika? Rika. 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 He is... Uh, talking about the 1939 and 1940 New York World's Fair as something that shaped the perception of the superhero, not only from the idea of, you know, this uh, metropolis of the future. I mean, that's really, if you look at a lot of the architecture from that New York World's Fair, there's a lot of metropolis in that. But also this yeah. idea that New York is Gotham City. And for years, people people like Frank Miller have said Metropolis is New York in the daytime and Gotham City is New York at night. And Paul Levitz has said that Gotham is New York from 14th Street down. Um, uh, some others have described it as, as Gotham as being 14th Street to Soho to Greenwich Village to the Bowery. And, and that is Gotham City and so on and so forth, even though in – in the DC universe, they actually have Gotham in New Jersey and Metropolis in Maryland, just across the right. river. But I, th- I think that I, – I, is he going to talk about architecture? Is he talking about just this idea that New York is, is in some people's minds, the center of the universe in shaping talk- superheroes and comic books? Are you talking books? about uh, Daryl uh, Frazetta's uh, yeah. uh, paper on uh, – yeah, let me pull up his um, – his, uh, because I just um, find that very interesting that it's like, you know, we don't see – now people are going to correct me on this – but we don't see a lot of superheroes from places other than a New Yorkish type environment. We see very yeah, well, few heroes that are based in Los Angeles. We see very few heroes that are based in Atlanta, Georgia, right? I mean there's probably some and, and you know, people will say, well, what about the Canadian superheroes and so on? But really when you think about it, the base of these – heroes, whether they be Batman, Superman, Daredevil, Spider-Man, whatever, are these New York-based cities or well, feelings and of And actually, I, the re, you know, he, he talks about how both Gotham City and Metropolis clearly offer insight in the evolution of urban culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and you know both Gotham and Metropolis hold cross-cultural significance with respect to urban contemporary urban culture and its evolutionary history. And here, here's what it is. And this is something that uh, um, uh, Alex Boney talked about, and and uh, another uh, guy who got his PhD um, in history, Aldo Rigaldo, is okay. that is that superheroes are a response to modernism. Mm-hmm. Um, modernism came in, you know, big machines. If you've seen um, Modern Times, Modern with, Times, uh, Charlie Chaplin, yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie Chaplin. You know, that's all about how the city overwhelms the individual, right? Right. And you look at Superman, faster than a speeding bullet, bullet leap tall buildings in a single bound, more powerful than a locomotive. In other words, he is able to overcome the forces of modernism, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we look to the superhero as a way of negotiating our own problems with the overwhelming forces of modernism. Mm-hmm. And New York is the modern city. New York is urban. In America, right. when you think of a city, you think of New York City. Right? right. So much so that if you look at the very first issue of Action Comics, the, the Superman story, mm-hmm. they go down to Washington, D.C., and Superman's jumping around in these skyscrapers. That's not Washington, D.C., <laughs> right? Because yeah. Washington, D.C. doesn't have skyscrapers. They're right. limited, you know? Right, right. That is, that's not Cleveland either. That's mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. So, so Siegel and Schuster, who lived in Cleveland, when they wanted to draw a city, they drew New York because that's how central New York is to the conception of the urban environment and the superhero emerges as a response to modernism, modernism hmm. which is located in the urban yeah, environment. The big cities. Well, well I'm and curious because – but do you also think that it's not also part the fact that creators who were and, – and Siegel and Schuster in another city, but you know, for the most part, DC, Marvel, all of these creators are located in and around New York City, and that's having a direct impact on the setting for their stories. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Danny Fingeroff once told me that the Joker's from the Lower East Side. <laughs> and you know, he knows the Joker's from the Lower East Side because yeah, yeah, yeah. he knows what the Lower East Side is. And, uh-huh. you know, and, and I wouldn't know that because, you know, I'm just a kid well, from Ohio. You, but. you know, when you look at a movie like uh, The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, which is set in Chicago, uh, you know, that's the city that they, that they filmed everything in. Is there, do you think that there's a shift in storytelling to now adapt cities like Gotham or New York to some other cities across the nation like Chicago? Absolutely. That's a very interesting move on the part of uh, Nolan because by, by setting in Chicago, they were saying something different from setting in New York. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're making a comment on, you know, when you talk about Chicago and corruption and the mm-hmm. police in Chicago and so forth, it's different from talking about New York. Right. You know, um, and so it positions Batman differently. You know, mm-hmm. um, if, if you, if you set Metropolis in Cleveland, Superman is a different hero than if he's in New York. You know, if they had done that in yeah, the, yeah, Super- yeah. think about the Superman film. Think about if he had flown by the terminal tower rather than by the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. It would have meant would have something been very completely different. different you yeah. know? Um, so absolutely. And that, um, that idea of New York, uh, Brad Rick's paper about the, the New York World's Fair, he's mm-hmm. talking about, you know, there was a Superman appeared. He was given his own day at the fair. He had, there was this contest where oh, they, yeah, yeah. They, 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 Charles Atlas judged Superboy and Supergirl. 
<laughs> you know, um, he was presented as a real character, but also right. there were, you know, the Human Torch and the Submariner were influenced by real people from the fair, a daredevil who set himself on fire and a famous swimmer with arched oh, wow. eyebrows and oh, what cool. the press proclaimed as winged feet, you know, and so the... The, oh, and he talks about a, a a real person from the fair, a strange figure with bat wings. You know, oh, interesting. So, so the, the thing is, though, that he's really talking about, and I've seen analyses of uh, of the the World's Fair comic. I think this is from mm-hmm. Richard Reynolds' uh, Superheroes of Modern Mythology. Um, that that vision of what the future was going to be in the world's fair, uh, there's a book called whatever happened to the world of tomorrow. It's a comic book mm-hmm. and it right. starts out at the world's fair and it talks about how, you know, why don't I have my jetpack? Where's my right. rocket? Where's my car? flying car. You know? Yeah. Where's my flying car? That, that vision of the future and that vision of the future that originated in, or was so linked to iconically linked to the world's fair. And that was linked to New York city and New York mm-hmm. city is linked to superheroes and it's linked to modernism that, there's a sort of organic connection with mm-hmm. all of those things that makes um, New York City and all of that and really connected to superheroes. And, and you're absolutely yeah. right that, you know, setting, you know, setting Hancock in Los Angeles, setting Dark Knight in Chicago, that makes a much larger comment about who we are and what these cities mean. Right. Well, Robert Greenwood is also on this panel uh, where he's talking about New York is is really the home of both creators and creations and how that has affected people's work. You know, there's talk, and I don't know if this is actually going to happen or not, but there's talk that as Warner Brothers tries to create synergy between all of its different branches, as it tries to create some central location, there's talk that DC might move to Los Angeles. And I'd be Just interested talk, to same see thing what, for Marvel. Yeah, and I'd be interested to see what Greenwood's perspective or thoughts on that would be because we're going to flip, I mean that totally flips on on its ear everything we know about a superhero of suddenly all these creators are surrounded by Los Angeles which is quite a different environment than than New York oh, City. Oh yeah. And and you know while creators live all over the place there is a kind of centrality of New York to the superhero genre that comes right. out of the fact that people are there. Um mm-hmm. you know the reaction to 9/11 is different if you're in New York or if you're in St. Louis or if you're mm-hmm. in Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um it's you're not as connected to it. Um and right. and that that sort of central positioning. Um yeah. Uh it's going to be He's going to talk about the way comic book storytelling, you know, the grid. I've heard this before. The grid, the New York grid is like the panels. Uh, right. Kent, uh, Kent uh, Wooster, um, who uh, teaches at Marymount College in Manhattan, and actually he had submitted a paper for the conference, Comic Studies Conference in New York. But we just, you know, and I really, but I couldn't put him on a panel I couldn't get the panel to work outright with the limited number that I had. He was, he, mm-hmm. he didn't, unfortunately, he didn't make the cut. Right. Um, but his work is excellent. He, d- he's given talks at YMCA's in New York about New York's presence, continuing presence in the comic books and how it's shaped. And he's the one who pointed out the, uh, the New York, uh, being in the action comics number one, that it's not mm-hmm. Washington, mm-hmm. DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot 
there's a lot to be said there. And we had that panel. The reason we have that panel on New York because it's New York Comic Con. Yeah, I was going to say you it's know? quite apropos. There you go. You've actually didn't, there's. Go ahead. Oh, it, I said was, we didn't. So it's not course, an accident. Ask people for that, but when right, I right. had three papers about New York, I was like, "That's in there. We're doing that panel." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned a moment ago about the psychiatry and the and the psychology. There's actually a couple of panels on on getting inside the hero and the villain's minds that mm-hmm. you're having at the show. There's the super psychology with uh, Robin Rosenberg, as you mentioned, and uh, the other one that we were just talking about. Why is it suddenly, it seems like in the last couple of years that you and I have been talking about the different panels, that it seems the psychology and the psychiatry of, of superheroes and villains seems to be a big theme uh, that keeps popping up, or more and more it pops up in the panels. You know, I, I don't know exactly. Part of it is um, what happens with comic studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's you know typically happens is uh, you know you start out with a lot of it comes out of English departments because it's textual studies and so forth. Right. And and then and then when it spreads out, besides that, I mean, you could talk to Robin Rosenberg or, or um, Sharon Packer and find out you know why mm-hmm. they got interested in it. And uh, mm-hmm. um, I'm co-editing a book with Robin, and I don't know that I've ever asked her, but it's funny because I know she doesn't have that background because there's some things. That, that come up and, and, and I'll know about them and maybe she won't or she'll have these questions about things. And it's like, is that, mm-hmm. you know, do you know about that? And, and, uh, um, I, what happens is either somebody's a fanboy in disguise. Right. They, 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 like me, <laughs> you know, they grow <laughs> up reading comics and then they decide that they want to be an academic, but they also want to study this thing that they love. Right. So that's right, one way. Right. the other way. And I think this is what's happened with psychiatry and psychology is somebody will be investigating a topic in some way. And then they'll go, Hey, wait a second. Look over there. Yeah. That's the really interesting. Yeah. And they find that the superheroes are excellent vehicles for explaining these psychological theories, or I think uh, Daniel um, uh, uh, Du Bois, mm-hmm. I think he told me about it. That what happened is, is he started to use superheroes as examples in his classes mm-hmm. because it was a way to connect with students. People understood right, right. you could talk about, you know, um, you, that's what uh, the physics of superheroes. That book, right? It's mm-hmm. because uh, the the author, I think his name is James Kokalis, something like that. He found that he could talk about them with superheroes and people understood. It got their attention. Right. It made sense. It was a good metaphor. And so that's what it is here too, is that I think the psychologists and psychiatrists, they find that it's a good metaphor for talking about it. Sure. And I think it's happened more recently because they don't necessarily come out of a background of reading comics. Robin Rosenberg doesn't have a background of, of reading comics, but you know, she's, she's found a way in through movies, right? You know, the movies got more popular and then that leads people back to the comics. So right. I would guess that it's connected to the movies. That okay. the movies That's what I was going to ask. Is it, yeah, if the movies had, be, had been a more major impact, because I really don't see someone like maybe Sharon Packer or um, Robin Rosenberg just walking down the street one day and passing Midtown Comics or something and going, hey, wait a minute. Well, let's start talking about yeah. the Joker or, or what really makes Batman tick. But when you see a Heath Ledger performance and you're like, that brings it into the eyes of a lot of people. Suddenly people start asking questions about what is making these, these heroes and villains. Yeah, exactly. Work. And I mean, you get this whole, uh, you, so you build up an interest and it also becomes more 
acceptable to talk about it because, mm-hmm. you know, the chair of your department seen the Batman movies or, right. you, you know, more people have seen the movies and are familiar with the characters and, or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, it meant it may come from students. Students may say, oh, hey, is the Joker, you know, you'll be reading about the psychopath and, hey, right. is the Joker psychopath? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and or somebody will say, you know, I saw Iron Man and he, he fits this psychological condition. And then, you know, so I think there's some push and pull from that, from both coming from students, but also, uh, it's more possible to talk about it because of the movies, mm-hmm. but also more aware of these superheroes mm-hmm. because of the movies. And then that pushes backwards into comics. Yeah. In, in the video production courses that I teach, comic books tend to come up a lot in discussion. Uh, gives a good example of when we're talking about storyboards, uh, when we're doing pre-production. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently, in the last couple of years, probably since you and I have started talking, I've got a lecture where I talk about how I love Adam Hughes's art and why I like Adam Hughes's art, but why Adam Hughes's influenced art, the Art Deco movement and the um, uh, Art Nouveau movement, um, have influenced the way his style is, and then that ties back into the architecture of um, the... Uh, uh, not the Justice League of America, but the Hall of Justice and how that's the Cleveland uh-huh. uh, uh, train station, transit station, and how art and really understanding and appreciating art can help you tell a fantastic story. And you've got a uh, – it looks like you've got a panel here that that talks about art and how we can take art and manipulate it into a lot of different ways to tell our, to tell our story. Uh, which was, I think that's your final panel. Oh yeah. Glad, have, uh, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, Frank Verano, who's actually the co-chair of the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's got a degree in visual culture mm. and, and so, yeah, he's looking at the dark night and the way it, 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 it relates to its status as art. It's a work of mm-hmm. art, but it's also a commodity. Chesh mm-hmm. Copen's talking about, uh, Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction's Immortal Iron Fist. Right. And the way, the way the structure of comics, that's a kind of a sequential art theory. Right here, you know, here's an example. He's looking at the art, the structure of comics and the way we consume sequential art. So he's looking at the way the storytelling affects mm-hmm. our reading of it and so forth. But mm-hmm. out of that is, you know, he's starting to develop some sequential art theory. Right. Um, you know, and, and we have, uh, Alexis uh, Siegfried from the University of California Riverside is looking at the difference between fine art and illustration, you know? Right. And, right. Uh, Dave McKean. And, and, and that's an issue, you know, is, that's a larger issue. Is illustration fine art? So you go in art schools, people, mm-hmm. you know, if you take the illustration classes, that's different <laughs> from, you know, fine art classes. Right. Um, right. but you know, so then is comics, you know, and you look at Dave McKean, right? Who mm-hmm. he pushes pretty far away from illustration, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a it's a pretty uh, it's then you're getting into you know what is art? How do comics relate to art? And and, and the commodity uh, of it, of art. I mean, uh, recently, yeah, I, the commercial nature what, of it. And, what did I just see? Something like uh, one of um, oh, um, not Jim Lee. Who's the other image guy that everybody is always talking about with art? Um, just slips in my mind at the moment. Um, but one of his uh, pages... Rob Liefeld? Uh, Rob, Rob Liefeld, that's who it is. One of his pages just recently sold for $71,000. Oh I'm sure God. there's a lot of... I'm sure there's a lot of artists out there. Yeah, who would like to... Illustrators or whatever, who would just like to say, hey, wait a minute. 
Uh, yeah. I, I would like to, to be able to be this successful as well. Please uh, sign me up for some comic books. And I think we've seen some people do that in the last couple of years, uh, especially with some of the uh, the Iron Man covers that we've seen recently, which really dive into yeah. uh, illustration and things like that. Uh, but I just, it, like I was trying to say before, it's interesting that, that we can take these, these looks of art and apply them to comic books, just like I'm taking people's understanding of art and appreciation of art and having them apply that to their visual medium of... Uh, of, of, of video production. Yeah. Well, at, at Wash U, um, last spring, you know, I taught a comics class and, and a couple of my students did their papers in comics form. Mm-hmm. So they oh, did really? expository oh, comics. Yeah. And it was really neat. And then, uh, one of them actually is, she's an art student and she took some of the stuff she was learning in the comics class back into her art. Mm. And one of the students who, you know, found out about my class too late and it was full, but for her senior thesis, she did a comic book. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So th- that relationship between, um, and you know, the, the chair of the art department walked up to me. I went to the show, you know, the, the student senior show, she walked up to me. She said, my students are talking about your class. And <laughs> you know, she's all excited that, that, that I had the comics yeah. class, but you know, so that, the relationship between popular culture and popular art and comics and 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 fine art, um, right? You know that's the, going back to Liechtenstein and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, that's a real conversation that's going on right yeah. now, and it, some of those boundaries are breaking down in art. And there's a yeah. there's a lot of feedback, although it's not kind of happening at the academic realm. We don't have. I've got a. Uh, uh, we I, don't I've have got a student art that, I, I've got a, a student. I'm overseeing his. Uh, I'm one of the pan, uh, uh, members of his uh, MFA committee. And he's actually taking, and it's really interesting because I think it's thrown all the other committee members for a loop because he's taking He-Man, he's sculpture, he's a sculpture yeah. student. He's taking He-Man and using um, his idea of growing up around He-Man and what He-Man represents yeah. and talking about how that has changed and shaped who he is today. And so a lot of his sculptural projects are based around He-Man and Skeletor and... Um, and uh, what's the uh, war cat or whatever the uh, the tiger that that He Man would wear, right? And uh, and so he, it's real interesting because the the other panel members are like, well, what is this He Man? I'm not I'm not really familiar with this. So it's interesting to see pop culture and comic books and th- and, and cartoon series and, and and things like that come around and really embed themselves into uh, a Masters of Fine Arts program and really make people look at both concept and the artist in a different way because of that. And have you been on other committees? Uh, yes, I have. Not not the okay. not the fine arts committees. Um, this is the first one because the student was actually doing some graphic arts stuff with one of my uh, visual effects courses. I was I was wondering if he if he had found you because you know you do popular culture and, and right. comic stuff. I'm on a dissertation committee mm-hmm. um, from somebody at Boston University because they didn't have somebody there who knew the comics. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm an outside mm-hmm. reader. He had, he got approval and permission for me to be, uh, because he's dealing with superhero comics and, you know, he needed somebody who had it. I'm, uh, I'm going to go to, I'm hopefully going to go to Finland and fight a graduate student. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, here's the deal. Um, this graduate student in Finland, um, she's working on, uh, um, uh, uh, Captain America. And superheroes right. and the American monomyth and, and the position of America in the world. And in Finland, mm-hmm. what they do is they have, you get a committee together, but you get a lead 
you get an expert, a scholar in the field who actually gets up on stage with you at your defense and attacks your, your, oh, really? uh, you literally have to defend your dissertation. The wow. person they bring in attacks it. And, you know, the vast majority of times when that happens in, in any field, you know, they have somebody mm-hmm. in Finland or Norway or Denmark or England, you know, it's a it, Germany, it's a short plane ride. Sure. But for superheroes, they, you know, they have a hard time finding somebody kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, yeah. you know, hopefully I'm going to get to go over there. And then the funny thing is, is when she successfully defends, she gets a sword. Oh, cool. That is interesting. There's, there's a, almost a, uh, an Arthurian, uh, yeah. Uh, connection there between that. So it is, it is almost. So. Yeah. It's interesting just to see, you know, the, the, the art faculty at the university just not understand what He-Man is. And then if you, and I can't really go into this particular student very much, but knowing him and seeing how it's really almost the opposite of the artist and, and the, and the concept and ideas and see how he's changing those. It's really fascinating. It's really neat. And, and he found me yeah. because he's actually got a video component of um of his have his final presentation and that's how mm. he kind of find found me through that so it's it's really fascinating it's really interesting and um yeah. Yeah. so it's late you and i both have classes to prepare for another day uh there are two yes, two do. uh two comic book conventions coming up one is coming up next weekend if you're in the st louis area uh chicago whatever and you can take a quick day trip over to uh, project comic-con it's taking place at the uh, maryland heights center in maryland heights missouri uh, you can find more information on that at projectcomiccon.com. The other one is coming up October 8th through the 10th at the uh, Jacob Javits Convention Center in New York, New York. It's the uh, uh, New York Comic-Con, and this is the first annual comics studies conference to be held at this convention. And um, there aren't any dates, I mean, times specifically set for these panels. I mean, I think we may be debuting this uh, some of these panels on this show, right? Yeah, the, uh, the schedule should be up. Um on the New York Comic Con site uh, soon. I, uh, okay. I just have to, f- I just have to for- finish a couple of details and send it off to him. I'm going to get off to him tomorrow, and so it should be up uh, early next week. If people want to find out more about you, uh, Peter Coogan, and the Institute for Comic Studies, where can they go for that? Uh, Instituteforcomicstudies.org. Um, it's okay. a kind of a static web page. It just gives uh, some basic information, and I can be reached at um, you know Comic Studies. At uh, gmail.com and, uh, or at 314comics0. Ah, cool. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, our, and if our, you're, and, uh, do you want to, do you want to say the, uh, schools that you're teaching at, uh, locally in case people want to pick up a class in the spring if you're doing any pop culture? Or yeah, sure. I am teaching all comics classes in the spring. So I guess I could die after that. I'm teaching (laughs) a graduate course at Washington University in St. Louis in the American Culture Studies program, which is part of the U College, which is Mm -hmm. their sort of evening school. And I'm teaching uh, an undergraduate comics course in the spring at uh, Washington University. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I will be teaching my regular superhero class at Webster University. Excellent. So people can look up those universities and find that out. If they're not already uh, enrolled at that school, maybe you can uh, pick up a course or two for your continuing education credits or just for fun. I'm sure, Peter, you enjoy having full classes every semester. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. That's the thing. Like the idea that I get to teach three comics (laughs) classes 
you know, yeah. graduate, undergraduate and, 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 uh, and genre, um, you know, superheroes. It's, uh, pretty, pretty good, I would say. Excellent. All right, Dr. Coogan, thank you so much again for being on the show and good luck with both of these conferences. And I'm sure we're going to be talking with you again real soon. Thanks, Stephen. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew to kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010